Hi, I'm Diane Hullett, and you're listening to the Best Life, Best Death podcast. Today, I'm here with a fellow Coloradan, Eric Rooney. Hi, Eric. Hey, thanks for having me. Eric's got a really incredible work that he does with Regeneration Earth. And he and I kind of, we re-met at a conference last week in Denver called Collaboration and Aging. And we were then kind of brainstorming, like, what would be interesting to talk about on the podcast? And what we came up with was body disposition in Colorado currently these days, because what I think is interesting is I think there are these new things out there and not that many people know about them. You know, it's something I think about quite often, and it's because we keep the dying or the dead away from us um, in cultures. And so when we hear these different practices around the world, we're kind of shocked because in America, we've been trained to think about only really two ways, and that's casket burial and flame cremation. So I'm thankful that I get to share this educational space around what other options are available and what people have been doing across the world for thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that you kind of go back into the history of it, because one of the things that really piqued my interest in this, you know, kind of path as an end of life educator and doula was Caitlin Doty's classic book called From Here to Eternity. And that book really in it, she basically it's almost like a travel log of death. Right. She travels to these other countries and cultures and then talks about what they do with their dead. And and some of it is historical and some of it is current. And I honestly just, this is so like almost embarrassing to admit, but like, I just didn't realize there were so many different ways of handling the dead all over the world and have been obviously for centuries. So that book is a really fun resource, but what, yeah, Eric, kind of go into human history. Like what do we do when someone dies? Yeah. And I think we get so confused, uh, especially when we talk about greener burial options, because these burial options that have been around for thousands of years were always green. They've only ever been green. Um, and specifically Tibetan Buddhism, um, they let the vultures eat their dead um, as a symbolism of going back to the heavens. And for me, when I learned about that, I was like, wow. But when I started to think about it a little bit more, I think it's so beautiful. I met uh, a young woman in the community a few weeks back, and she's actually going to Nepal. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to witness through the community an offering like that. And so I think when we talk about some of these newer options, um, it's just getting back to what we've always done. It's just getting back to the root of how we are a part of the earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust from the earth, we too shall return. Um, and to me, it's a fascinating thing just to be able to witness a lot of the uh, pioneers in this space talking about NOR or human composting. Well, humans have only ever been really composted and returned to the earth. And same as natural burial as well. Um, people are like, I never knew that was an option. And, and at first, there's a little bit of heartbreak. And then I get excited as an opportunity um, for education in that space to be able to say, hey, this is actually the only things we've ever done. Um, and then money kind of crept in um, and we saw how how many opportunities there were to monetize the space. Um, and so when we talk about some of these new green er, and I usually put quotations around that because um, it's just fascinating to see. Um, it's nothing new. It's only what we've ever uh, what, only what we've ever done. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Like it's quotations around new and it's quotations around greener in some ways, because like both of those are just co concepts, right? As you said. So so in Colorado right now, you can be 
buried in a traditional way in a casket, embalmed or not embalmed, I, I think. And you can also be cremated, flame cremation, as we talk about. But there's other options. And let's kind of, um, well, you know, why don't you tell us what they are? And then we'll go into details about each one. I'd love to. My um, my lucky number is five. And so for folks that are looking to remember the ways, it's just one hand. Casket burial, flame cremation, water cremation. NOR and human composting are the same thing. Um, NOR, and then the last would be a natural burial. Um, and so some of these greener ways, they do have, um, they do require some type of a chemical. So water cremation generally uses potassium hydroxide. Um, bodies are reduced down to a liquid and able to be returned to the earth in a greener way. That's water cremation. Some people refer to it as the last uh, treatment, if you will. Um, and because of money, there are manufacturers making these machines. Most of these machines were used on farms in traditional spaces to be able to take care of um, the death of farm animals in, in, a, in a quicker um, way. Um, and so that you know, I, I know of some crematories, it takes five hours. And I know of other crematories, it takes between 18 and 20 hours for one decedent or one body. Um, and there's a different amount of liquid at, according to the machine as well. Um, I've tested the liquids from a few different crematories. I know exactly what's in it. It's what's in commercially produced fertilizers. Imagine that if you are what you eat, we are just nature spiritually talking our spirit's something a little bit different but when we're talking about our physical makeup um, we are of the earth and so people are like well how does it work in the gardens and i'm like it's beautiful um, it's what life needs human composting is very similar to what you would do in your kitchen you know you're taking out your banana peels your eggshells um, you're mixing them with different brown dried pieces green pieces um, in your in your in your garden or your outside environment you're tending to it every so often um, and, and you get this nutrient-dense soil. It's the same thing with a human body. Um, bodies that are embalmed cannot be composted. Um, that's counterintuitive here um, because what the goal is is to be able to return that soil to the earth, to rehabilitate lands that maybe um, don't have that nutritious soil because we're pulling anything natural away from those spaces, including human beings. NOR, um, which I'm going to call it from here, but that's human composting, natural organic reduction. But NOR um, takes about three months, um, three to four months. Um, the, the, the bodies are put into a vessel um, and they're lightly turned. And over the course of that three months, they're reduced down to a skeleton and a, a beautiful nutrient dense soil. The skeleton is removed and it's pulverized and returned back into the soil for another month. Um, and these can be used on anything that's non-edible. And the reason why I say non-edible is because of dis-ease. Um, there's still a potential to pass off some disease in the soil, such as mad cow disease. And um, it's important that those things are only used on blooms. Um, I show everybody that comes to the farm, Half Moon Farm, exactly what that soil looks like. And they're just so surprised that it doesn't smell gross or weird or any of those weird Hollywood ideas we have around death and dying. Um, they're like, wow, this is beautiful. And it even smells rich. Um, you can see hair in it. You can see bone fragments. And to me, it's very beautiful. And it's about a truckload, a, a typical truck bed full, um, a standard family truck, not those big semis, but a standard family truck bed full of the soil. Um, and I apply it at ground level. Sometimes I'll do a light till. And then the last one, which is my personal choice, is a natural burial. 
when I die, I will not be embalmed. I will be nude, wrapped in a shroud, placed into a hole, and covered with dirt. Um, and all of that organicness will just become part of the earth again. And I think about it, and when I first heard of it, I was like, wow, this is so, this is so bizarre. But as I continued to work in my garden, I came to this realization that all the dirt that I'm working in, all of the food that our, 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 our food comes from, these beautiful trees, are our ancestors. They're everything that came before us. All of the organisms that came before us make up this beautiful soil. And only till the, the last few hundred years did we really start um, embalming bodies and putting them into the ground or putting them in concrete vaults. And so that's natural burial. We've got casket burial, flame cremation, water cremation, human composting, and natural burial. And people say, well, how do I even know this, if that's a, a possibility for me? Um, and I always tell them, call your local cemetery. My parents have burial plots in Ohio. Um, and I'm going to call them this week. And I'm going to say, hey, do you guys allow natural burial? They're first going to say, what? Um, and then I will educate them on that. And then there's an opportunity, I think, there. People aren't asking about it. Um, similar going to their doctors, their primary care physician, asking about medical aid and dying or voluntarily stopping eating and drinking. People don't ask and therefore there's that lack of awareness. And so um, I'm finding that some people are calling their cemeteries and whereas previously they didn't even know about it, now they're offering that as an, as an option. Um, whereas they're skipping water cremation and human composting. And so they allow flame cremation, casket burial or natural burial. But I'm like, heck yeah, how cool is that? Um, how cool that somebody's choice can be honored. And I've changed, you know, I, I, I first thought it was gonna be casket, then I was definitely set on water cremation. Um, and so today in the past few months, how I show up, it's a natural burial for me. That's such a great layout of those five arenas. And I do think it's interesting what you're saying is that not only are consumers, people, lay people, all of us becoming more aware of the options, but the industry itself, cremation places, funeral homes are becoming more aware of the options as well. And I think that the savvy ones are beginning to offer these alternatives. And, you know, I, I in reading some of the history of all this, I thought it was interesting that I guess a big definitive book or something came out about cremation in the 60s. But it took a long time for that to become the norm because it was the people who were in their sort of 30s and 40s and 50s reading about it who decided, oh, that's more what I want. So then wave ahead. And now that those people are elderly and and dying. I mean, I'm hugely simplifying it, but there, there is a bigger wave of cremation because of something that came out in the 60s. So I wonder if we'll see that with this as well, that right now, green burial is kind of our natural burial is a little bit less common, but more people who are younger are interested in it. And therefore, there may be this kind of wave of, you know, it'll come more in the future. And I know there's at least one cemetery in Denver that has a, a green burial section. I need to find out the name of that cemetery. And then, of course, there's the Colorado Natural Burial Preserve, which is an entire uh, several acres, 40, 80, I don't know, a bunch of acres devoted to both green burial and a place to put uh, cremated or aquamated remains. So I think it, yeah, it depends a little bit where you live and what is legal in your state. But I love your kind of um, call to action, like like call and ask, find out more. Get yeah, this. And it's so it's so fascinating to me because there's a lot of talk about how we are destroying the earth. 
there's a lot of talk about how we can um, reduce, reuse, and recycle. Um, I found my, I found a, a childhood photo of me. Um, it was in, I think it was 91 or 92. And I'm wearing a shirt that says, save the planet. These conversations we've been having for decades now. Um, but what we forget in Western culture is the conversation regarding death and how wasteful that is. And so my hopes are that this talk around waste are comprehensive. They're whole. They include birth and death. Um, it's a full entire cycle. And so um, I'm not surprised that we don't talk about that, that that is a conversation that's forgotten about when we're talking about uh, creating a better earth for our future, um, because we are death avoidant um, in, in, in this space that we live in. But at the end of the day, it only makes sense to me um, to fill bodies with toxins and put them into the ground seems very counterintuitive to what we're trying to do here. But it takes education. I didn't know about this six years ago. I didn't know about this five years ago. Um, and so that's where I'm like, ah, pat on the back of Rooney, because I'm just here just to tell people choices, options. I know I love buffets. I know when I go to a party, I like to see different types of foods. And I think people want that too. They don't want to be able to, you know, have to do this or have to do that. It's like, let's look at all this. And I support choice. Um, I support educated choice. And so if we can all understand like, hey, here's in Colorado, or hey, make this phone call and ask them. You may be teaching them something new and you never know what that trajectory is. Maybe they're going to change the way that they, and the options um, that they offer to the community for a better earth. I think so. And I hope so. Right. There's, there's a, there's a place for advocacy, right? If you're in a state that doesn't allow some of these options we're talking about, there's a place for advocacy, starting with calling funeral homes and seeing what they offer and working up to legislation that allows these things. The, um, you know, tell us about your farm, because I think your farm is a really personal way that you've embraced this beyond just sort of theoretically thinking these are good ideas. I agree. Thank you. And I think that's aided me in understanding the importance of these conversations. And that's tough for a lot of people who maybe uh, are growing in pots on their porch rather than having a one acre preserve in Memorial Garden. Three years ago, my partner and I were looking for uh, a space where we could grow. And um, simultaneously, I was helping as an advisor in a crematory space and in a water crematory space and figuring out how are we going to get this liquid back to the earth in a way that's ethical, in a way that we can really offer uh, a beautiful space for people. We bought the farm and um, we had the opportunity and, and still have the opportunity to work with different crematories in returning that liquid and returning NOR, the soil from um, human composting back to the earth. And I've returned everyone myself. It's been a little over 200 people. And to witness the grief and to be able to stand in the garden and, and hold space for a family who lost a baby or lost a young child, um, there's an unspoken understanding that life is fragile and that this is a part of our human experience together is grief and death. Um, and birth and death are the same. There's just this very thin, thin sliver of life in between. And being able to be at this farm, have my hands in the soil, and to see and to witness in the spring, the seeds are coming up. All summer long, families come and gather. They can gather seeds. They can gather bouquets. 
there's this beauty in their eyes when they're able to see this flower blooming and then it wilts in their vase and then they compost it, I hope, or toss it out. Um, there's this unspoken understanding, like, I get it. I get it. And I think it challenges us to live with more love and presence that nothing really else matters because just like that flower too, it went from a seed, our parents watered us or our guardians watered us. There was parts of our life where we bloomed and these big, beautiful flower. We wilted back sometimes. Sometimes our tips were brown or yellow. And then winter came and we died. And that freeze killed off everything of the annuals. It's, it makes sense. So being able to be a steward of this memorial garden, Half Moon Farm, um, has helped me in understanding uh, this preciousness of life. And also, um, I've had an opportunity to give that space to other people um, in a way that's different than our traditional cemeteries, where they're cold headstones. These are marble, sandstone, all different types of rock. Rock is hard and it's cold and it's different. I have lots of families in cemeteries and I do know my grief is different there than it is in mine. And even with stories of tragedy, it's just different because a garden in nature feels free. The birds can fly, the butterflies can go this way, the, 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 the pollinators get to choose that choice. They get to choose what flower they're going to. And we've always been taught that we have this hierarchical structure that humans are just better than, we're smarter, more intelligent. And that's a fascinating thought for me. But in the garden, being able to witness this commonplace of birth and death, it just makes sense. Um, and we have thousands and thousands of species of different plants. And um, I couldn't imagine anything else than a memorial space being something that represents us too. And that's a, a beginning and an end. Um, some of these flowers, it's just within a year, um, but perennials are very similar, you know, um, some of these peonies and some of these roses, they get tired after 75 years or 80 years or 100 years, similar to human beings, we get tired. Um, when we make seeds, it's time to regenerate um, and we'll continue on. And it's a cycle. We are not separate from this cycle uh, here on earth, our water cycle, um, the cycles of a, cat a caterpillar. Um, us too have cycles. And I think when we can embrace that, we have a, a, a stronger understanding of why we're here and that's togetherness and it's to love. Mm. So, so back up just slightly when you and your partner bought the farm, which, you know, we have to kind of chuckle at that phrase, of course, when you bought the farm, did you know it was going to be a memorial garden or did that come down the road and how like how extensively do you put out this is a memorial garden where these alternative body disposition, uh, what, what do you say? The body disposition methods can be homed. Yeah. So um, I was raised in a, uh, in a religious background. Um, and so when I bought the farm, um, it, it I wasn't envisioning returning NOR or liquid to the farm. Um, it was a, a beautiful opportunity, I think, from the heavens, source, God, they're all the same. So it was it was just perfect timing. We bought it in September of 2020. 
And the crematory I was working with opened in um, the very early year of 2021. Um, it just lined up. It was perfect. And I'd like to say that I'm um, a recovering control freak, but I found some type of honor and privilege to know that I was in control of where this was going. I didn't have to go visit, get in my car and to go visit and to check on the things. If I wanted to put out compost or effluent, the liquid, we call it effluent, in the middle of the night, I could. Um, if I wanted to wait to welcome the family and the friends of the loved ones, I could. It wasn't in this other space where it was during work hours. I had to do this and I had to do that. So we had no idea that that was going to happen. Um, and now the first thing I do is make sure everybody knows that this, these are sacred ground. I don't even tell them the name of one flower before they know the sacredness of the space. Um, and I would say 98% of the people, I don't collect any data, 98% of the people would say, I feel something really special here. I feel this is a different place. Um, and they want to stay. And I'm like, this is my backyard. You've got to go. <laughs> but at the end of the day, the people get it. It's an unspoken feeling um, in this space. And so we are very clear that these are memorial gardens. Um, far more clear that they uh, th that they have an option of even clipping a bouquet. I would like them to know first the beauty of uh, the gardens. And, and sometimes I forget. I feel like people come to clip flowers because of that. Maybe sometimes taboo. Oh, this is interesting. This has been grown with humans. Um, but what I see is this transformation in these people, this understanding and this witnessing of, oh yeah, at first I thought that was weird, but it's not, okay, this makes sense. I understand. Um, and so it's, it's, it's came into this whole thing, which has only been guided by alignment, authenticity, and something bigger than I am. Um, because I couldn't imagine returning uh, this liquid or this soil to other spaces where maybe it wasn't open to the public or maybe where this farm didn't disclose that this was a thing um, at their farm. I could never imagine, never imagine letting people know about the sacredness of this space. Um, and now I have all sorts of, you know, I had a woman last week, she said, do you see ghosts? And I said, well, what's a ghost? And then she kind of started thinking about it, breaking it down. She said, well, do things happen that are unexplainable? And I said, yes, yes. Um, do I have owls and hawks sit in my trees? Yes, and I have conversations. Owls have been waking me up for the past month at four in the morning, 3.58 to four o'clock, almost every morning, just hooting away. And um, to me, that's not just happenstance. To me, that's affirmation from the earth that, um, hey, we've got your back. Some people are like, oh, you're crazy. And I'm like, that's okay. It feels really good to me. And so, yeah, it, it, we never had this idea for this farm. I, I, uh, I've been a, a gardener and an earth person my whole life, but um, this feels really good. And I can only imagine that this will be a part of my life. Four months ago, I found out my great-grandfather by blood was a cemetery keeper in Ohio. 
he was a modern day, or he was a, you know, a traditional cemetery keeper. It's where my parents have their plot. It's where my grandparents are buried. And I'm like, ah, talk about ancestor work or legacy. I'm like, it's in my blood to preserve the earth and also the dignity of other people. It's very important to me. And clearly it's in my blood. Oh, great. That's a, that's a, that's a great connection. What a fun thing to find out. And I have his letter from 1966. Um, the original letter from the cemetery thanking my grandfather for all of the years of his preservation work. And I'm like, this is amazing. This is gold. That is so gold to find that ancestor piece. What a, what a great, tra- like, we don't always know what's in the past. And you found this lineage, you know, just to, just to throw this out there, of course, uh, Recompose, which is one of the really big NOR facilities up in uh, Washington state, they've partnered with a forest and the forest takes this same kind of NOR material and it's regenerating this forest up there. So I think it's really beautiful that many families who choose aquamation or NOR, human composting, end up using some of that material themselves, but it is quite a bit of material. So to have a place to add some of that in these other ways, like to your farm or to this forest up in in the Northwest, I think is really lovely. I've got to go back to the human composting because there was this great moment at the conference last week where Eric was one of the keynote speakers and was talking about some of these things up on stage. And when he said, composting. It's like what we do in our kitchen. And this woman at the table next to me mutters under her breath, that's disgusting. And I I kind of chuckled because I thought, well, I guess when you make this analogy, like it's like what we do with our, you know, eggshells and our zucchini ends, maybe it does make people a little uncomfortable because they think like, oh, wait, I'm putting grandma out in my backyard compost bin. So I'm glad you 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 know emphasize that it it is these containers that um, funeral homes who do this work choose and create, and there are a few different kinds. I think the, the technology is being developed in different ways. So some call them a chrysalis, or some call them a um, what are the other terms like a vessel. I've heard vessel. Um, yeah, but yeah, I like chrysalis. It's like a butterfly. Yeah, so a chrysalis, a vessel, they they create something which is just your person. It is your person plus the natural materials like straw, like alfalfa, like wood chips that help the body break down. So I, I think that's an important thing. It is it is not really the compost pile at your kitchen window that we're putting people in. It is far more a regulated and b um, clean. I think is almost what I want to say. And there is this beauty to it. Uh, Eric and I were both at the conference in Denver last year that was the inaugural body composting conference. And at that conference, they did a beautiful ceremony. I thought they did such an incredible ceremony where at the beginning of the conference, somebody pretended to die and they laid them in. They did a laying in ceremony. So we had some actors on stage who were very funny. And then at the end, they did a turning out ceremony and they shared with us some of these composted remains and they were, they were just incredible, like rich brown earth. I mean, literally probably several of us went up to the funeral directors at the natural funeral. And we were like, is this really like, is this for real? Like you didn't just buy some potting soil and call it this. And so it was really striking to have that very concrete experience of the beauty of it, almost like laying someone in a casket, but then their body is undergoing this different experience. Well, I I just think it's really neat that you 
you know, that this synchronicity came together where you had this land and then you also had this experience with the water cremation place. And so you knew that there could be a synergy there and you found this way. One other thing I was going to ask you about, I know in, uh, gosh, was it May or June, there was a huge hailstorm and I know your farm sustained damage. How is it recovered from that? It's done really well. Um, nature is resilient. We lost a lot. Um, but at the end of the day, being able to witness how tough nature is, even with, I was like, yeah, I've been doing this for years. That's dead. That's not. And then a few weeks later, you see how resilient it is. We are the same way. We are the same way. And it's doing a lot better. And I can only assume that because of all of the eyes on the garden, all of the collaborations and contributions um, that we've had a little extra support as well. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, tell us, um, what. how can people find out about you, your farm, all those good things? Give us those websites. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm working on all those things. Um, I'm a people and earth person. And so um, regenerationearth.org is the best place to stop. It's the one-stop shop um, where people can understand um, continuing education, um, and being able to expose themselves to what we hide behind the doors. And that's probably why the individual at the table thought it was disgusting. Five years ago, I would have said the same thing. I would have said, oh my gosh, that is disgusting. But as I work with it more and, and see the, the specialness of our life, um, my opinions changed. But regenerationearth.org, um, we also have halfmoonfarm.co. Um, and all of them are interconnected and intertwined, you know, in this modern era, we have to separate things and for profit for not for profit and these types of things. But I think regeneration earth would be a wonderful place to start. And that is just the mindset. Um, I heard regeneration earth in, in terms of farming and people talking about soil health, um, carbon sequestration, all of these types of things. But in my idea, a regenerative mindset is important to understand what are we leaving as a legacy? What's going to happen when I die? Because it's going to challenge you to, to what you're living now. And so that's where Regeneration Earth came from. Um, and I'm also on the Instagram at underscore Eric Rooney underscore. Um, and I forget some of the other uh, <laughs> social media things because that's just not my forte. I'm a people person. I love emails, phone calls. Um, I love being in person. Um, I love being able to make the eye contact, to be able to give the hug, to hold the hands. Um, and those are all those types of ways. So any way that anybody think I can contribute to what they're doing or any ways that somebody thinks they can educate me, I want to learn. I'm a lifelong learner. I will never talk about myself as an expert. Um, I am just a learner and I'm learning. So um, I encourage that, that feedback. I encourage that camaraderie, um, that humanness, that connection. And um, I do have a poem that I would love to leave with when it's time. And if, if that's okay, I'd love to read it now. This is by Mary Elizabeth Fry, and it's entitled, Do Not Stand at My Grave and Weep. Do not stand at my grave and weep. I am not there. I do not sleep. I am a thousand winds that blow. I am the diamond glints on the snow. I am the sunlight on ripened grain. I am the gentle autumn's rain. When you awaken in the morning's hush, I am the swift uplifting rush of quiet birds and circled flight. I am the soft stars that shine at night. Do not stand at my grave and cry. 
I am not there. I did not fall. Fitting, right? <laughs> so beautiful. You know when that poem was written? Quite a while ago. Quite a while, yeah. It's it's kind of a classic. It's so beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Eric, for sharing your um, both your mindset and your wisdom about these practices, and then some concrete information for people that I think um, I hope has piqued a little curiosity in people. I hope so, and thank you for um, giving this platform for people and these conversations to happen. This is really beautiful. Um, and so I thank you for all your work and I'm excited to see how you grow and ex excited to see how I grow and um, how we can all share this information together. That's how we get by as storytelling. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, clearly uh, I need to come to the farm. So when we're You're both always welcome, Colorado, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, you can find out more about the work I do at bestlifebestdeath.com. Thanks for listening. Thank mm -hmm. you.